Good morning, Coastal Church. Pastor Sean here. Uh, good to see each of you this morning. And I just wanted to take a moment and set up our new series that we're going to be doing, Christmas series, Advent. And uh, we're so excited to celebrate the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, uh, and so our couple-week series, hope and joy and peace and love and light. And these are great words that encourage our hearts and our souls and remind us of God's great gift, His one and only Son, Jesus, that He sent at Christmas time. So I hope you'll be excited as we unpack the Advent wreath and the series Advent uh, this Christmas. I also want to take this time to remind you, don't forget, I know you've been praying. I laid out the vision back in October. Uh, I've been praying about the uh, Christmas offering. And so we're going to be starting that as well, uh, starting this week and all through the month of December, giving to the Christmas offering to the incredible vision of the expansion of the gospel that God has given us here at Coastal Church. So have a great Christmas. Use this time of year to invite your neighbors and friends. This is called Advent. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. And while you're turning there, I just wanted to piggyback on something that Pastor Sean mentioned in his video setting up our new sermon series about the Christmas offering. And you guys know that we got a good head start on that with our fundraiser that we started this fall. But I just wanted to remind you about that. Uh, that, that is ongoing. Uh, there's been a lot of great progress at the building site. If you guys have ridden by Hickory Fork recently, you know, the foundation is done. We're just waiting on the metal building. I'm hoping it'll be here like really, really soon. And so hopefully we'll have an update for you guys soon. But be praying about that. And also, if you've not contributed to the fundraiser, let me so encourage you this Christmas season, pray about how the Lord would have you contribute toward this Christmas offering, going toward this new building that can be a gospel outpost for us here in Coastal Gloucester for years to come. All right. First Peter chapter one, this Christmas season leading up to Christmas Eve, uh, we do this Advent candle wreath every year, which I really love. And so this year, each candle represents a different word, and we are going to go around and discuss these different words in each sermon leading up to Christmas Eve. And so this morning, we're going to talk about hope. We're going to talk about hope. And now, usually in our language, when we talk about hope, we're expressing a desire for something to happen in the future. You know, I hope that it's not going to rain tomorrow or whatever it might be. We're expressing a desire for the future. And implicit in the idea of hope is also the concept of waiting, we don't hope for something that we already have. I don't hope that we're going to have a 930 service this morning, like we're already here, right? But we have hope for something that's happening in the future, and therefore we have to wait. And now for me, I'm okay with the word hope. I'm not okay with the word wait. When I go through the fruit of the Spirit, I love love. Joy is awesome. Could use some more peace in my life, all of that. I don't have time for patience, though. I don't know about you. I don't like to wait, and you don't like to wait either. You know how I know that? Coleman Bridge. 
You ever been driving to work? You got to go across the water. You're already running late. You know, you already just ran a red light and spilled your coffee. And next thing you know, you see those words, draw open. You get there. Or maybe you're like me and you just put off going to the DMV as long as humanly possible because you know you're going to be sitting there forever and you hate to wait like me. Guys, we spend so much of our lives waiting. I mean, if we could tally up how much time do we spend in our lives waiting, it would probably blow us away. And those are both rather trivial examples. Let me use some serious examples for a minute because waiting is not always just annoying. Sometimes waiting is painful. Sometimes waiting is difficult because I know there are people in this room right now who maybe you're waiting for a new job. Maybe you're single and you've been waiting for the Lord to bring you a spouse. Maybe you've been waiting to have a child. Maybe you have a physical health issue and you've been waiting for healing to come and it hasn't yet. Maybe there's a loved one that does not know Christ and you've been sharing the gospel, but they just won't get it. And you're just waiting for God to work in their heart and draw them to himself. Sometimes waiting is difficult. Sometimes waiting is painful. And so this morning, I want to see what does it talk about for us? What does it mean for us as followers of Jesus to wait with hope? Because here's the deal. And here's how this relates to Christmas. Waiting with hope is at the heart of the Christmas story. Because Israel waited for centuries for the fulfillment of God's promise of a Messiah. They waited in a hope that one day God's word would be fulfilled, that these prophecies, like John read earlier, would be fulfilled, that a savior would come, would be born of a virgin. He would be a king forever and ever. And that hope was fulfilled on Christmas. Yet for us as followers of Jesus, we're not waiting for a baby in a manger anymore. That's not our hope. And that already happened. But we are waiting for our Messiah. We're waiting for the second coming of Christ. That is where our hope is. And so if the message of Christmas is waiting for the hope of the coming Messiah the first time, for us as followers of Jesus, we are to learn what it looks like to wait with hope for the coming of the Messiah again. And so here's the game plan for this morning. I want to look at just one verse this morning, 1 Peter 1.13, and I want to consider what it looks like for us to live with hope. I want to see what biblical hope is, look at the command to hope that we have as believers, and consider how this hope should transform our lives today. You might be thinking, oh man, it's only one verse, so this should be a short sermon. Uh, Well, you'd be wrong. Uh, But here's the deal. We're going to look at this one verse, and I believe it's so rich. God has so much to teach us in just this one verse. So let me give you the main point this morning. We are called to a complete hope in Christ, and this hope should transform every aspect of our lives. With this in mind, let's read this verse together. Let's pray, and let's jump in. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, I thank you for the hope that we have in you. I thank you, Father, that in Christ, no matter how dark things might be in our lives, there is always hope. There is always hope because of who you are and what you've done. And so, Father, for the one here this morning who is in despair or hopelessness, I pray that you would give them hope this morning. Lord, for the one who is placing their hope in someone or something else other than Christ, for the person who is trusting in a false hope, Lord, I pray that you would smash that idol in their heart and that their hope would be firmly in Christ alone.
And Lord, I pray that all of us in this room would have a renewed sense of hope and anticipation and even excitement for the day that we will see you face to face, the day that you make all things new. Oh Lord, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. We ask that your name would be honored and glorified this morning in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. So first of all, we need to ask the question. We need some definitions here. What is hope? What is hope? I've already mentioned the way that we use the word today. We say, you know, I hope it's not going to rain tomorrow or whatever it might be. When we say things like that, we're expressing a desire for the future. What you could really mean is, I don't want it to rain tomorrow. When you say, I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. That's what we usually mean by the word hope. It's little more than wishful thinking. Yet in scripture, the word hope is much more firm than that. In scripture, hope is a confident expectation that God will be faithful, that God will keep his promises. My favorite definition comes from a pastor and theologian named John Piper. This is how he defines hope. He said that hope is faith in the future tense. Hope is faith in the future tense. If faith is a confidence and a trust and a dependence on God, hope is that projected onto the future. It is a belief, a trust, a confidence that God will be faithful in the future, that he will keep his promises. And you see, faith and hope are often linked in scripture. Consider Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And so if hope is a form of faith that is projected onto the future, if it's a confident expectation, then the reality is, as followers of Jesus, we can have a hope even when from a human point of view, it doesn't make sense. We can have a hope that God will fulfill his promises, that God will do what he said he will, even when from our vantage point, there's no way that could happen. Example, Abraham. Romans 4. In hope, he believed against hope. What does that mean? In his hope in God, he believed even though he had no human reason for hope. And how was that? that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. I mean, think about it. He's 100, his wife is 90, and God tells him, you're going to be the father of many nations. He had no human reason to hope. No human reason to believe that that's actually going to happen. And yet he had hope in God. And what did that look like? Verse 20, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is biblical hope. Biblical hope means I am fully convinced that God will do what he said he will do, even if I can't see how, even if it does not make sense to me. So hope is faith in the future tense. But I also want to emphasize that hope is not just some abstract desire for a better tomorrow or that things will get better. It's grounded in who God is. Hope is a person. It's grounded in God and who he is and what he's done. You know, in Psalm 42, uh, David is almost doing biblical counseling for himself. When his soul is distressed and afraid and tormented, this is how he counsels his own soul. He says, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? What's the solution? Hope in God. 
for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. It's not just a random or generic hope. It is a hope in God. And the New Testament makes this even more clear. We're called to hope in Christ, but not just hope in Christ, that Jesus himself is our hope. Listen to how the letter of 1 Timothy begins. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by command of God our Savior, God our Savior, and Jesus Christ, our hope. Do you notice he doesn't even say hope in Christ. He just says Jesus is our hope. Christ Jesus, our hope. He is our living hope. Jesus does not just give us hope. He is hope. He is our hope, church. So let's bring all the pieces together for a definition here. What is hope? Biblical hope is faith in the future tense. It is a confident expectation that God will act in the future in accordance with his character and his promises. And as believers, Jesus Christ is our hope both who he is and what he has done for us in the gospel. Our hope is on his future glorious return when he will come again and establish his perfect kingdom. With that definition in mind, now we're prepared to unpack 1 Peter 1.13. So let's read that verse again, just so it's fresh in your mind. 1 Peter 1.13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus. Jesus Christ. Let's go through this verse together word by word. Let's just squeeze all of the richness and all of the beauty out of this verse together. So first, the word therefore. We don't need to do this again, do we? We've done this enough times, okay? We see the word therefore, which tells us that what he is saying in verse 13, this command to hope does not come randomly, but it's built on the foundation of what has come before. So we need to know what comes before so we know what the content of our hope is. So back up with me. Look up in your Bible to verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to what? A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Okay. With that paragraph now in the back of your minds, let's return to verse 13. When he says, therefore, think about it this way. Therefore, because you have been born again to a living hope, therefore, because there's this inheritance in heaven that is being guarded for you, therefore, because God is sovereignly orchestrating even the trials in your life to bring you to a place where your faith is refined so that it will be resulting in praise and honor and glory when Jesus returns. Therefore, because you have this joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, hope. 
Therefore, hope. This is not a random command. It is not a vague sentiment that is meant to make us feel better. When he says, set your hope, there is teeth to it. There is content to it. Because of God's great mercy, you have infinite reasons for hope, he tells us. And as he continues in verse 13, he shows us how we set our hope. He says, therefore, preparing your minds for action. So in the original language, and I think the King James translates this really literally, it's girding up the loins of your mind. That's weird. All right, let's be real. What does that even mean, girding up the loins of your mind? So uh, in ancient days, uh, typically men would wear these long flowing robes with a belt. And when they had to do some sort of physical activity, they would take the bottom of their robe and they would tuck it into their belt so that they could move more freely. That was called girding up the loins. And uh, for example, in the Exodus, when they're getting ready to leave Egypt in the Passover, God tells them, make sure that your robe is tucked into your belt. You got your sandals in your feet, you got your staff in your hand. In other words, be ready to go. A moderate equivalent to this might be roll up your sleeves because we're getting ready to go to work. This is an idiom that simply means this, be ready for action, get ready to go. But he says of your mind, this is a mental thing. So the point here, what Peter is calling us to here when he says preparing your minds for action is mental clarity. He's saying you need to think clearly and you need to think hard. And that pairs with the next phrase where he says, and being sober minded, just as the opposite of sobriety would be drunkenness. The purpose here is that we would think clearly, that we wouldn't have distractions, that our minds would not be clouded by anything, but that we would think clearly. Let me put these pieces together. Peter is telling us that in order to set our hope on Christ, we've got to think hard and we've got to think clearly. This is an act of the mind. This is something that we intentionally do. This shows us that hope is not just a feeling. It's not just an emotion that comes and goes. This is an intentional act of the mind and the will to set our mind on Christ, to set our mind on things that are above, to know the truth of the word of God, to memorize it, to think on those promises and to intentionally set our mind there. We have to choose to set our minds on the hope that we have in Christ. And once we do that, this is the main command of this verse. He says, set your hope fully. Other translations say, fix your hope completely or put all of your hope. The point here is that we would go all in, that we would put all of our eggs in one basket, that we would completely without reservation, without holding back, that we would put all of our hope in Christ completely, that we would hope in him. And here's why this matters. All of us in this room this morning are hoping in someone or in something. The question is who or what? We are hardwired for hope as human beings. We all put our hope in someone or something, and our hope is in whatever we believe will deliver us or will fulfill us. And there's a lot of different things that we place our hope in in this world. Some people place their hope in a career. My hope for meaning and satisfaction and fulfillment in my life is my ability to climb the ladder, to make a success of myself, to make a lot of money. Some people might put their hope in a relationship. My hope is in this person's ability to satisfy my deepest longings. My hope is in another human being. Some people might place their hope in the stock market. If so, uh, I'm sorry. 
We place our hope there and our hope is in a financial future or even worse, we might put our hope in politics. Speaking of waiting for someone to fulfill promises, am I right? Listen, everywhere else that we put our hope except for Christ will let us down. Always. Scripture calls it a false hope. This is what Psalm 33 says. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation. And by its great might, it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love. He's saying, don't hope in horses or warriors or chariots. Don't hope in instruments of human strength. The eye of the Lord is on those who hope in his steadfast love, this verse tells us. So this is a good opportunity for us to ask ourselves the question this morning, where is my hope? Here is a good diagnostic tool that you can use to see if there is a false hope in your heart. I've used this before, but I think it's helpful. Fill in the blank in your mind when I say this following statement, okay? Once I get blank, I'll be happy. Once I get blank, I'll be content. Once I get blank, I'll feel like I finally made it. I'm finally will be fulfilled. I'll finally have meaning and satisfaction in my life. Your hope is whatever the blank is. And this morning, we need to ask ourselves the question, is all of my hope completely in Christ? I'm not saying it's bad to desire other things, to want other things. This is about priority. What's on the throne of my heart? What's number one in my heart? Where am I putting all of my hope? Church, let's repent of our false hopes and go all in. Let's put all of our hope in Christ this morning. And yet, I'm saying that we need to hope in Christ, but remember that hope contains the idea of waiting for something in the future. What is it that we are hoping for Christ to do? Church, our hope is for the return of Christ. Just as Israel waited for Christ's first coming, the church is now waiting for Christ's second coming. In his first coming, he came as a baby in a manger. In his second coming, he's coming as a conquering king who will rule over the whole world. Peter says, set your hope fully on what? On the grace that will be brought to you when? At the revelation of Jesus Christ. I think that this grace is the inheritance that Peter described in the verses that we just read a few minutes ago. It's the inheritance being kept in heaven for you, uh, imperishable, undefiled. It's also the outcome of our faith, the salvation. There we go. Um, it is a gift. It is a, all of that is a gift of God's grace. We don't deserve that. And yet he tells us here, it will be brought to you. That means we don't even go get it. I almost get this mental image of God serving us our salvation, bringing it to us like a gift, like a host over a meal. And this will happen at the revelation of Jesus Christ, which I take to be a reference to his second coming. The same phrase used in verse seven of first Peter. It's also, by the way, the exact same phrase that begins the book of Revelation. This will happen when Jesus returns. So all of this means the command of this verse is to put all of our hope on the future inheritance and salvation that will be ours when Jesus returns, when Jesus comes back. We are to put all of our hope in the return of Christ. And here's the thing. I don't think we do that well. In the modern church, I don't think we do that well. I don't think I do that well. 
I don't think we are nearly heavenly minded enough. I don't think we live with nearly enough of an eternal perspective. I don't think we long for the return of Christ like we should. Church, Titus 2.13 calls the return of Jesus our blessed hope. The New Testament ends, the Bible ends in Revelation by saying, come quickly, Lord Jesus. This should be something that we long for, that we desire more than anything else. Why don't we desire the return of Christ more than we do? Let me give you a few thoughts here why I think we don't. First of all, we're too busy. We're too distracted. The things of this world come in, work, family, all good things, but we get so busy and so distracted that we often don't give a second thought that Jesus could return at any moment. But even worse, I think sometimes we love this world so much that we're content. We don't long for the return of Christ because we love this world. And frankly, we don't want things to change. I can remember when I was in middle school, I don't remember which movie it was. It was either like a Star Wars movie is getting ready to come out or a Lord of the Rings movie, something like that. The stuff middle school boys get geeked up about. And I was having a sleepover at a friend's house and we were talking about this movie that was coming out and how excited we were. And he said, I'm not kidding. I really hope Jesus doesn't come back before then. Because there's no way that, you know, a new heavens and a new earth could compare to Star Wars movie or whatever. Uh, the point is, we do the same thing sometimes. Like we, we're so in love with the things of this world that we don't give a second thought to the fact that Jesus could be coming back. You know why I think we do that? Because we have no clue how amazing Jesus is. We can't even fathom how glorious eternity is going to be. We can't even get our heads around how incredible Jesus is and how perfect his kingdom will be. And so because of that, we're like what C.S. Lewis called, we're like children making mud pies in the mud because we can't imagine what is offered by a holiday at sea. We're like Hannah after Thanksgiving this year. So Hannah's our three-year-old. Uh, we went on Thanksgiving this last Thursday to Megan's family's house over in Midlothian. And we had an awesome time, great food, all that stuff. And so we got in the car. And so, of course, our three-year-old, one-and-a-half-year-old were too busy destroying the home to eat food. Uh, and so once we get in the car, the first thing Hannah does as we start driving away is yell from the back seat, I want Happy Meal. <laughs> And I'm just thinking about it. You just had all this amazing food that people spent all day cooking, this incredible home-cooked food, and you want McNuggets. And now first, I was like, I got to find a way to slip that in my sermon. Uh, and then second, seriously though, we do the same thing. Guys, the things of this world compared to eternity are like old, cold McNuggets compared to Thanksgiving dinner. And we can't even imagine what is being offered to us. That's why we don't hope and long for the return of Christ more than we do. Can I give one more reason? And this one's a little bit strange, but I think it's true. Is it possible that we've been so conditioned by really cheesy end times fiction that we're almost scared of the return of Christ? Let me illustrate what I mean by that. Man, when COVID happened, both myself and some of our pastors would have people coming kind of freaked out. Like, is this the end times? And my answer was always the same. I'd go, I hope so. Why? Because it's our blessed hope. We want Jesus to come back. If it's the end times, that's good news. Amen? We should want the return of Christ. We should long for that. And here's the deal. I've lingered too long on this point. Guys, this hope leads us to live with what Pastor Sean calls an eternal perspective. When our hope is in Christ, when we long for the return of Christ, when we live our lives with the mentality that it could be today, that changes everything. 
it changes our perspective on absolutely everything. And we'll circle back to that in a little bit. We are called to set our hope fully on the return of Christ. But what does this hope produce in our lives? I want to consider now the results of hope. What are the results of this hope in our lives? The first is holiness. The first is holiness. You know, I was actually assigned 1 Peter 1, 13 to 21. Once I started studying, I really couldn't get past verse 13. Uh, so we're not getting the whole passage this morning. But if we were going to continue, listen to what verses 14 through 16 say, right after this call to hope. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Peter moves immediately from hope to holiness. He's saying, after you set your hope fully on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, this should lead to holiness and righteousness in our character. And he gives us three things about that. First of all, verse 14, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. I take that to mean your life before Jesus, your past before Jesus. He's saying who you were before Jesus is dead. It's under the blood. You're forgiven. You are covered by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Your sins have been cast as far as the East is from the West. Therefore, we got to leave that stuff behind. We can't be conformed to the passions of our former ignorance, but we leave it in the past. Paul says, such were some of you when he talks about the sins of the Corinthians past. We leave it behind. But we also pursue holiness in light of the character of God. In verse 15, Peter quotes from Leviticus, where the Lord says, you shall be holy for I am holy. God's own character is the basis for our pursuit of holiness because we're made in his image and we're called to be like him. We pursue holiness because he is holy. And then finally, in what areas of our lives are we to be holy? Peter says in all of our conduct, that means that we don't get to compartmentalize it. We don't get to say, all right, Jesus, I'll submit to you in this area of my life, but not this one. It means he gets all of us. It means that Jesus is Lord over how we think, over how we speak, over how we feel, over how we act. It means that Jesus is Lord of all and we submit all of our lives and all of our conduct to him as we strive for holiness. And how is that connected to hope? Well, as I've already mentioned, guys, hope is not just pie in the sky, wishful thinking. It is an intentional state of mind, an act of the mind that leads us toward Christ. And 1 John tells us that it has a purifying, sanctifying effect. 1 John 3, 3. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. In this way, hope is active. Hope leads us to actively kill sin and pursue righteousness. And so this is a good opportunity for us to do some more self-reflection this morning. Peter says all of your conduct. What are the areas in our lives that we need to change to more accurately reflect the character of God? I could tell you some of mine, but they only give me 40 minutes to preach. We don't have time. Listen, all of us are called to a complete hope in Christ. And this hope leads us to put away sin and to pursue Christ-likeness. Let's do that. Let's pursue holiness because of the hope that we have in Christ. The first result of hope is holiness. The second is patience. The thing I said I didn't have time for earlier. Listen, it enables us to wait with patience. I love this passage from Romans 8. Listen to these words. 
For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Let's pause there. That's what an eternal perspective sounds like. Because if you read about Paul's life, he went through a lot. He suffered a lot. And he said, when I get to heaven, it won't even be worth bringing up. The sufferings of this life aren't even worth comparing to the glory to be revealed to us. He continues, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in a hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. You see, all of creation is hoping and longing for the return of Christ. Sin did not just impact humanity. Sin had a universal impact. Sin is what brought about the curse on creation. That's why we have natural disasters like tornadoes and hurricanes. That's why we have diseases like cancer or COVID. It's why there's hostility in the animal kingdom. You know, it says when Jesus comes back that the lion is going to lie down with the lamb. He's going to say little kids can go play with snakes. All of the hostility in the animal kingdom will be gone. And listen, that's the hope that it would be longing to be set free from its bondage to corruption. And we who have the Holy Spirit also groan inwardly as we await the universe being set free. And Paul says, we can't see this hope. But hope that we see isn't hope anyway. By definition, we hope for what we don't see. And when we do that, and here's the key for us, verse 25, we wait for it with patience. A hope in the return of Christ enables us to live our lives with a sense of patience because this life is not all there is. There was that corny phrase when I was in high school, YOLO, right? You only live once. It's not true, okay? We're gonna live forever and ever. And knowing that, having that eternal perspective changes absolutely everything. It enables us to be able to wait with patience, unlike me when I was a kid at Christmas time. So when I was a little kid at Christmas time, that's probably like eight years old or whatever, um, I couldn't wait to find out what my gifts were. So one time when my parents were in the room, I went and unwrapped all of my presents to see what they were and then wrapped them all back up. The problem was I was an eight-year-old boy. Uh, so I was about as good at wrapping presents as an eight-year-old boy typically is. So they were just absolutely mutilated and there's just tape everywhere and it, it looked terrible. And my sister ratted me out when that happened. And then when my mom asked her about it, I'm not kidding, I blamed our cat. <laughs> I told my mom, oh yeah, you know, I saw the cat playing under the Christmas tree or whatever. And my mom, she was probably just being nice. She said she believed me. Um, but, but here's the deal. I could not wait with patience. And yet we are enabled when we have this hope to wait for the return of Christ with patience. That means we're never going to be completely satisfied in this life. We're never going to be completely fulfilled in this life because we weren't meant to. That's for eternity. When we see Christ face to face, that's when everything we've been longing for will be fulfilled when we see Jesus face to face. We can wait for that with patience. The final result of hope, last point this morning, is comfort. 
when we have hope in Christ for eternity, it brings comfort. You know, I love First Thessalonians verses four, uh, chapter four, verses thirteen and fourteen. Uh, this passage is probably my go-to when I'm asked to speak at a funeral for this reason, because the hope that we have in Christ is the only basis for comfort. I have no reason to be comforted unless I have this hope. And this is what this verse says. For we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that is, those who have passed away. Why? That you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. He's saying, because Jesus died, because Jesus rose again, and because Jesus is coming again, we don't grieve as those who have no hope. We don't grieve hopelessly, but yes, we do grieve, but we grieve with the hope that death does not have the final say for a follower of Jesus. Because Jesus died and because Jesus rose again, when he returns, he's bringing those with him. This is our hope. This is our comfort. The hope that Christ has conquered death and that he's coming again and he'll make all things new. You know, I love Christmas time. This is my favorite time of the year. But I know that it's, it's really hard for a lot of people. I totally get that. Maybe you're here today and you've lost a loved one. And that makes the holidays really difficult. The memories can be painful. Where does the comfort come from? I think it only comes from the hope that death is not the end for a follower of Jesus. It comes from the hope that we have in Jesus. Jesus, who is our eternal and our living hope. Because Jesus has defeated death, those who are in him will likewise defeat death and live with him in a perfect world forever and ever. That's our hope. That's our comfort. And so let me leave us with a few takeaways this morning as we close. The first is a question that we should all ask ourselves. Who or what are you hoping in? Notice I did not ask, are you hoping in something? I asked who or what are you hoping in? We all place our hope in something. The only other option is what we call despair and hopelessness. And let me tell you, that is a dark place to be that leads to really dark places when you've lost all hope. Listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, there is always reason for hope. It doesn't matter how dark things get. It doesn't matter how bad things get. We always have hope because of Christ. But the question is, are we placing our hope this morning in the things of this world or are we placing our hope in Christ and in Christ alone? That's the question. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, you're not a follower of Jesus, let me ask you a question this morning. What hope do you have that there is anything after this, after this life? What hope do you have that anything is going to be better after this? Do you have any hope that extends beyond the next 50 years, beyond the next 100 years? There's no reason to apart from Jesus. Jesus is our ultimate hope, our eternal hope, and he does that through the gospel. The gospel is the good news that there is a holy God who made us in his image for the purpose of loving him and having a relationship with him. We've sinned against God. For that reason, we deserve God's punishment. But God loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus into this world, both the son of God in human form, 
He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for our sins. He rose from the dead three days later so that when we turn from our sins and we trust in him, we have eternal life. We have hope. If that's you this morning, if you're not a Christian and you want to know more about the hope that we have in Christ, I'm going to invite our prayer team members to come forward now. You can come and talk to one of these folks either during the last song or after the service. They'd love to talk to you about what it looks like to place your hope in Jesus this morning and that you can have assurance that you have the hope of eternal life. Last point this morning, last takeaway with this, I'll invite our worship team to come back. Let me exhort you to be transformed by your hope in Christ. Be transformed by hope. Don't merely just let it be a state of mind. Don't let it just be a feeling, but let it be something that changes how you live today. Because this has been a pretty theoretical sermon, but let's get really practical for a minute. How does the hope for the second coming of Jesus, how does the eternal hope that we have in Christ change my life on a day-to-day basis? Let me give you a few ways. How can we be transformed by hope? Think about in your mind that one besetting sin that you struggle with that keeps kicking your butt. And when you're tempted toward that sin tomorrow morning, how can you overcome that sin? Let me tell you through an eternal perspective. Because in that moment, you need to ask yourself, in light of eternity, what's more important? The temporary, fleeting, false pleasures of sin or the eternal glory in Christ? The eternal joy that I will experience in God's presence. And you can say, yes, I could do that sin. Yes, I could do that. Yes, for five minutes, it might bring me pleasure, but it's not worth it because of the eternal hope that I have in Christ. That is power to kill sin in your life. What about stress and worry and fear and anxiety that is just rampant this time of year? How do you overcome that? Let me tell you, let me give you a rule. Um, If it's not going to matter 10 billion years from now, don't worry about it. if, If it will matter 10 billion years from now, you're allowed to worry about it, okay? I'm giving you permission. But if it's not going to matter 10 billion years from now, why waste your time and energy worrying about it today? That eternal perspective, knowing that this life is not just 70, 80, 90, 100 years, but it's eternal. It really puts everything into perspective. And it shows that the things that we get so bent out of shape about really don't matter that much in the grand scheme of things. Guys, an eternal perspective is powerful. It enables us to live without fear, with joy, with peace, with hope. It enables us to overcome sin in our life, to keep our eyes on Christ until that day that we see him face to face. Let's let this Christmas season be marked by the hope that we have in Christ. Amen. Let's close with prayer and we'll go out singing about our living hope in Christ. Oh Lord Jesus, you are our hope. You are our only hope. We love you and we trust you. Lord, we're sorry for placing our hope in other things and the things of this world instead of in you. And Lord, as best as we know how, we are placing all of our hope fully in you today. Lord, there's nothing we desire more than to see you face to face. So Father, we love you. We ask that you'd be glorified as we go from this place today. For it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's stand and go out singing.